That's God's word to us this morning is from John 18, beginning at verse 15 through 28. And our focus is, should be 38, 15 through 38. So our focus will be verse 28 to 38. And in the meantime, as you read through it, just think of the witness of Peter. He denies his Lord. And you think of the witness of Christ. He's faithful in his witness for our sake to the very end. But uh, our focus, though, will be not on Peter, but on Christ's faithful witness in his trial. Beginning at verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Then the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now Simon Peter stood and warned himself, and therefore they said to him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. And the verse 28 30 is our focus. Now understand here, Jesus has been on trial already before the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling class of the Jews. Right? Annas was the high priest, but then the real trial occurred before Caiaphas. You can read about that in Luke 23. Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas, the high priest. Okay, so they already sentenced him to death. But in order for him to be put to death, he needs to, needs to have the, uh, the rubber stamp of the Roman authority, and that's Pilate. And that's what we come to in this trial here, verses 38, 28 to 38. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to him, You take him, and you judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying Jesus might be fulfilled when he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, 
Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, have, would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So 28 to 38. I think you also see an outline on the back of your bulletin, the uh, three main points that you see there. But really we're focusing on the glory. What is the glory in Jesus' trial? The glory is the fact that it's for your and my salvation. You know, last week we heard that uh, in a time of war, the aim in a war is always what? Is to remove the, the leader of that country. Because if you take the leader of the country out, the entire kingdom or the entire country falls. Well, likewise, you see here in a much bigger, on a cosmic scale, worldwide scale, in keeping his promise from Genesis 3.15, God, in his grace, promised that he was going to send his son to do what? To crush the head of Satan. Who is Satan? The father of lies. He's going to crush Satan. He's going to take him out. In this battle, in this war, for your salvation. We can't do it. But we have a leader we have a king who's going to go before us and he's going to take them out for us. And you see what happened. What, what really brought about this problem? Well, at the instigation of the devil, what did man do? Men, women, right? In their willful disobedience, what do they do? They rob themselves and all their descendants of the gifts of God, of the gifts of fellowship with him, of a relationship with him, they rob themselves of his kingdom. That's what brought our situation, in, that's what brought us into this terrible situation in the first place. But God promises he will send his son who will take out that leader in the, in the kingdom of darkness. And because of sin and rebellion, today the world believes the lie. Don't you find that? One thing they don't want to hear is the truth. The world believes the lie of Satan. That's because of sin. We're bound by the lie. And only our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, can give us ears to hear the truth. That's what he says to Pilate too. He's the one that gives us the ears so that we hear the truth. But you know the lie? It hates the truth. It hates the word of God. It wants to censor the truth. It wants to censor the Bible because it doesn't want the message of the truth to go out into the public. It wants to remove the truth. It wants to remove the Ten Commandments from the public schools. It wants to remove the Ten Commandments from the universities. It wants to keep its hands on its ears 
keep the truth away. Satan wants nothing less than to kill the truth and to bury the truth. Because when you bury the truth, guess what? It's under your foot and you don't have to worry about the truth anymore. Yeah, to kill the truth. Who's the truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And here at his trial, Satan, this sinister, this sinister sneaky serpent, wants to get at this leader, the leader of the kingdom of God, kill him and bury him and bury the truth once for all. And what did Jesus come to do? Is Satan going to win? Oh no. God's going to keep his promise. Jesus is certainly going through his humiliation. But Jesus came to do what? To destroy the lie. And he came to bear witness to the truth. This is his, this is his witness before Pilate. He came to bear witness to the truth. He is the truth. He's the way, the life. And you'll notice in response to Annas just before that, in verse 20, remember that high priest Annas, he asked Jesus a question about his disciples and what? His doctrine. You could say his teaching. And what does Jesus say? He says, I have nothing to hide. I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple. And I have said nothing in secret. This means that Jesus, what he said, he had nothing to be ashamed of. Because the truth, you have nothing to be ashamed of. We have nothing to be afraid of. It's the truth. Call brown red. It's not going to change the color of brown. Brown's going to stay brown. No matter what you might say about it. Likewise, Jesus was both public in speaking the truth and teaching, and he was outspoken, not recklessly, but wisely bringing the truth to the world himself. And now at Jesus' trial before the governor Pilate, in verses 28 to 38, Satan wants to kill the truth and bury it. You see how Jesus, the innocent son of God, is being humbled? When Jesus speaks openly about the truth, what does he do? He get, Annas gets one of his officers to take the palm of his hand and just strike Jesus across the face. What's going on here? Satan, in light of what God said in Genesis 15, is striking, is bruising the heel of Christ. This is what's going on, especially seeing John 18 and 19, bruising or striking the heel of Christ. And yet, our suffering king has you in view. His love, his grace. Christ will endure the trial because of his love for his father and his love for his people whom the father has given to him. The innocent son of God, you know, he reveals his glory. His glory in his trial before Pilate. How does he do that? Well, you see, who's in charge of the trial? Is it really Pilate? Is it really Sanhedrin? No, Christ is. He's the one who sovereignly directs his trial for your salvation. And you see that in three ways. When the trial occurs, how the trial occurs, and the purpose for the trial. Okay? First of all, you see, okay, by directing the timing of his death, right? He, um, 
He directs his own trial, first of all, by directing the timing of his death. Okay, the trial occurs at the time of what? At the time of the Passover. Okay, so it's the Passover. That's the timing. That's the timing when Jesus will die. And then you see, Jesus also directs the way of his death. It has to be very specific. It has to be the cross. It has to be by crucifixion. You see that in verses 25 or 29 to 32. And finally, the goal of his death is to be a king. Right? To be his, his coronation, his crowning as king. But notice that, first of all, he directs the timing of his death. If you look at verse 28, that's where we see the emphasis there. The lead Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. So the trial has been just been completed by Caiaphas. They've sentenced Jesus to death. And now they lead him to the Praetorium. What's a Praetorium? Praetorium was a place in Jerusalem where Pilate would live, especially during the times of festivities. It was the time of the Passover. And so that was, you could say, Pilate's temporary residence is also the place of the court. And he was also the Roman governor. Okay, so he's also the Roman governor under the emperor to govern that region where Jerusalem was. And Caiaphas, the high priest, and the council, they had placed Jesus on trial, and they had reached the verdict that Jesus was deserving of death. For saying what? For saying that he is Christ, the Son of God. That's, that's the verdict they reached. Because Jesus said he's the Christ, the Son of God, they said he has spoken blasphemy. He must die. It's early Friday morning. It's early Friday morning. And notice the timing of Jesus' official trial. It's the time of the Passover. And the Jews, they did not want this to be happening during the time of the Passover. It's a holy feast. They had to be quiet. They had to be silent. But you know what? God orchestrated in such a way that Jesus would be arrested, that he would be on trial, that he would be put to death during the time, during this holy time. God is the one who made it happen this way. Why? Think of the Passover. What was the Passover all about? You recall Exodus 12. Remember how God had delivered, had saved his people from the Egyptians, and the people, he had saved his people from Egypt. And how did he do that? The angel of death, recall how the angel of death had passed over those homes which had the blood on the doorposts and on their door frames. And that night when the angel of death came through Egypt, he passed over, okay, there's the Passover, he passed over those homes that had blood on them. And he spared them. He spared those homes from his own judgment. It was a holy feast. And this is why when the Jews brought Jesus bound to Pilate's residence, what did they do? They refused to go in. They didn't want to go in. Why? Because if they had entered, they would become unclean. After all, who was Pilate? He's not a Jew. He's one of those dirty dogs, one of those Gentiles. They didn't want to get contaminated by him. 
Never mind that Jesus was going to be delivered over to him. Right? After all, they saw Jesus as unclean to handing him over. If they were unclean, then they were not allowed to celebrate the Passover, the Holy Feast. You think about it? Outward religion is a charade. It's fake. It's pretense. And this is what you see here too, was all a charade. They wanted to be clean on the outside, but they were unclean at the core. Right? Living the lie with hatred, with envy. Pilate knew that from Matthew 27. We know that Pilate knew that the reason why they really handed Jesus over was because of envy. This reminds us really of Jesus' words. He says, you know, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Wow. No, their hearts were far from him. You know, the aim of the Jews was to get rid of Jesus. And that's why during the whole Passover night, what were they doing? They were preoccupied with getting Jesus arrested. They were preoccupied of putting him on trial throughout the whole night and sentencing him. And once Jesus is hanging on the cross, ah, then they can go home and eat their Passover meal in peace. What a charade. What a fakeness. And this Christ suffered for our sake. But notice in all of this, and all the goriness and all the wickedness of the people, you see God's wise plan. These Jews wanted to avoid becoming unclean in order to keep the Passover. But this Passover feast pointed to whom? The very one they condemned. It pointed to the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, who is Jesus himself. They said he's deserving of death, but it's the death of the truth it's the death of the true Passover lamb. And you see how Jesus fulfills the Passover lamb. The one who sheds his blood. Think of those earlier words of John the Baptist. Remember he pointed to the Jews? Or sorry, we were speaking to the Jews and he pointed to the Christ. He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As much as the Jews didn't want it, Christ planned in such a way that this would happen at this very time, pointing to Christ, who is the real, the true, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 28, where does God lead his lamb, Jesus? To the very doorstep of Pilate, the governor. You see how God uses all their raging envy to fulfill his purpose, to keep his plan. The king on trial, he's the one who directs his timing perfectly. Offering himself as the lamb for the sins of his chosen people. You know, in his sacrifice, Jesus exposes the truth about ourselves, doesn't he? It had to come to this point. Jesus reveals the truth about ourselves, our sin, our depravity. There's not a good person in the world. No one is good. No, not one. We need one 
who needs to die in our place in order to offer the cleansing that we really need. In his love, he offers to all who believe that real cleansing as we bend the knee before the one who came to be the true Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, the one who offers himself for the salvation of all who believe on him. God directed the timing of Jesus' death during this trial, the time of the Passover. But also God directed how Jesus would die. I mean, it doesn't matter whether Jesus died by stoning or by a sword or by... In what way? Does it really matter? You know, you see in verses 29-32, having taken Jesus the prisoner from the Jews, Pilate now asked Jesus in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man, he, he asked the Jews. What are the charges? He wants to know. They say, if he were not an evildoer, the Jews say, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And so you see an official session of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews had already sentenced Jesus to death. And this charge, however, does not impress Pilate at all. Paul, Pilate says, that's your matter. And you say that Jesus called himself the Christ, the Son of God. Pilate didn't know anything about who the Son of God was. He himself was a worshiper of other gods. So he says, that's your, that's your concern. That's your matter. You take care of that matter. He was not impressed at all. He says, you take him, verse 33, verse 31. You take him, and you judge him according to your, your law. And they say, yeah, but we can't. We can charge him, we can sentence him to death, but we can't put him to death. Only you can do that. They already judged him according to their law. And now they want Pilate to, to rubber stamp their decision by putting, by putting Jesus to death. The Sanhedrin wanted to deliver Jesus up to Pilate so that he would sentence Jesus to die. And of course, he would not be able to die in the Jewish way, but he would have to die in the Roman way. To die in the Jewish way would mean that Jesus would have to be stoned. That was the Jewish way of, of um, getting rid of a criminal, was by stoning. Remember Stephen? The martyr Stephen? They stoned him to death. But that's not in God's plan. God planned in such a way that he, his son, that God's son would die the Roman way. And what's the Roman way? Not stoning, by hanging on a cross. That was all in God's plan. Christ here directs the way of his own death, not by stoning, but by being crucified on the cross. See verse 32? That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. What kind of death he would die. Which saying is Jesus referring to? What saying is he fulfilling? If you go back to John 12, verse 32 and 33, he was speaking to his disciples and hearing of others. He says that I, if I am lifted up from the earth, lifted up means what? Here means lifted up on the cross. I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, says John 12, signifying the kind of death 
he would die. That refers to death on the cross. Death, death by crucifixion. Two things here. First, you might be thinking, does it really matter how Jesus would die? As long as he died for our sins, right? Does it really matter? I mean, if he was stoned, wouldn't he, have been died? Wouldn't he, would he not have died for our sins if he was stoned? Or if he was strangled, would he not have died for our sins? Why the cross? Is that a must in God's plan? Yes. It had to be, it only could be the cross. It had to be the cross, nothing else. That was the only way that Christ could atone for the sins of his people was only by the way of the cross. That's why the cross is such an important symbol in Christianity. You know what the cross symbolizes? The curse. Stoning didn't symbolize the curse. Neither did strangling. Neither did the sword. The cross symbolizes the curse. God's curse. Galatians 3.13. You read that? There God says, quoting Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The cross was made of wood. The cross is a tree by which Christ hung on. Curse. Why is Christ cursed? The innocent Son of God, why would he be cursed? Because we deserve it. We deserve nothing less than God's curse because of our sin and rebellion. And here the Son of God at his trial, he's willing to endure the trial the full way even willing to endure the curse, suffer the curse on your and my behalf. Galatians 3, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What does he give in exchange? Instead of the curse on us, to those who believe in him? A life. <laughs> exactly. Curse. Death. Christ comes to bring life, blessing. Romans, sorry, Galatians 3.14 says that he, that the blessing might come upon us in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what, what love, what, you, what love you see in Christ during his trial here? He could have abandoned it. Well, he couldn't because he's God. He obeyed his father to the very end and he loved his people. Can we love such people like that? I think we can. We have something of that love in us when Christ's love comes in us. But the depth of his love here, we hope to sing that, the, 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 um, the, the Father's love in a song afterwards. But you know what the cross brings out? And this is what people don't like to hear. People love to hear about miracles and healings and all the splash. But who wants to hear about the cross? Because when you hear the cross, it right away points to us and says, it just shows the depth and the reality of our sin before a holy God. It's, it, I mean, the gravity of it, the depth of it, the, the terrifying nature of it before a holy God. At the same time, you know, Christ who 
endured the curse on our behalf is very assuring. It reassures us, doesn't it? I think of question answer 39 of our catechism. It says, by this death I'm convinced that Jesus shouldered the curse. He took the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. He shouldered it. He took it. He relieved it from me. He lifted it up from me. That through faith, all who believe on him may experience the blessing and life of Christ. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Wow. Lifted up on the cross points to a greater lifting up, doesn't it? The blessing of all who believe in him. Raising union with Christ on the third day. Raised to be seated with him and reigning with him, who is our king. That brings us to verses 33 and 38. Jesus directs us, or directs the goal of his death at his trial. And that is his crowning as king, his coronation. You know, the Jewish leaders knew that Pilate was not impressed with their charges. <laughs> That's their matter. And so they come up with new charges. Hopefully, charges that Pilate will accept. And one of the charges you see in Luke 23, verse 2, there's three charges there. But one of the charges they bring against Christ so that Pilate can at least accept their charges is that Jesus calls himself a king. Well, he says that he himself is Christ, a king. And they bring those charges, new charges, to Pilate. This charge, they think, should be troubling to the Romans and should be troubling to Pilate. And therefore, Jesus is really politically dangerous. Well, what if he tries to upseat or upset Pilate? What if he tries to take control of his seat? What if he tries to control the emperor's seat? A politically dangerous king. But you know what? Jesus makes clear he's not that kind of king. Here you see the glory of Jesus the suffering king directing his own trial before Pilate the governor for our salvation. You see in verse 33, Pilate ridicules Jesus. <laughs> Are you? You? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer that question. He doesn't answer that question at all. Sometimes it's wise not to answer questions because it comes out of a wrong perspective. And so Jesus wisely redirects Pilate's question with his own question. What they mean, what the Jews mean, and what you mean may be totally different. It all depends. Are you speaking for yourself about this, Pilate? Or are you simply saying what somebody else is saying concerning me? In other words, Pilate, if this is your own question, and if I put my true meaning into your question, am I king? Yes. But if you're saying what the others are saying, like the Jews, am I king? Like what they think I am? Then I would say, no. Pilate conveniently sidesteps the question. He says, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you to me. What have you done? What's your crime? And so in answer to Pilate's question in verse 33, okay, now Jesus answers his question. And the first thing Jesus says is what kind of king he's not. Okay? He makes very clear what kind of king he isn't. He says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, 
my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. Yes, Jesus is a king. He reigns, but he doesn't reign like the kings that you see on earth. Those kings arise from the earth and for a short time. If he reigned like them, if he reigned like the kings that you see on earth, like the leaders on earth, he would have organized his followers long ago to fight and to protect himself from his own arrest. Did Jesus do that? As a matter of fact, when Jesus tried to protect him, oh sorry, when Peter tried to protect Jesus by cutting off the ear of Malchus with his sword, what did Jesus say? Peter, put your sword away. This is not the way we fight in this kingdom. Jesus is not a king in this political sense. Right? He's a king who might, he's not a king who will endanger the Roman Empire with force and violence. He's not that kind of king. He doesn't come with, king, with guns and bombs and swords. Jesus is a different kind of king. And so Pilate says, okay, so you're a king then. And Jesus says, yes, rightly, verse 37, rightly you say that I'm a king. And you see, Jesus says what kind of king he really is. Verse 37, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Hear that? Everyone who is of the truth. They're the ones who hear his voice. Those who are not of the truth will never hear the truth. <laughs> will never hear his voice. Unless he opens our ears to hear. Christ came into the world. For what cause? He says here to bear witness. Yeah, to the truth. To the truth. The lie hates the truth. It persecutes the truth. It shouldn't surprise us that the church is being persecuted all around the world. Even in Canada, it's beginning. The lie hates it. And Satan tried to kill the truth here. He thought, I can nip it in the bud now. There will be no kingdom. There will be no church. Satan tried hard to kill to take out the leader of the kingdom of light. But Jesus is the kind of king who gave his life. Satan kicked himself in the foot. He didn't win. As a matter of fact, by Satan, by trying to kill Christ, it's really Christ giving his life so that he might reign in your hearts and in your lives by his Holy Spirit. That's the kind of king he is. He's the one who takes control of your heart. And he reigns, he rules, he lives, giving you his love, giving you his peace, giving you his life. He gives eternal life to all who caught upon him in faith. He rules in our hearts in such a way that when we hear his voice, we recognize the truth and we listen to the truth. The truth sets us free. Jesus did not use guns and bombs. He does not use guns and bombs to spread his reign in throughout the world to grow his kingdom. No. What does he use? He uses the word of God as way more powerful. Right? It slays him to the, to the, to the, to the heart. 
right? He uses the preaching of the gospel. He uses the preaching of the good news. That's powerful. We should not fear men. We should not fear the kings. We should not fear those who fight against the truth with their lies. This word is way more powerful. And that's what Christ is saying. Like many people today, like many people who ask today, Pilate also asked Jesus, what is truth? You ever hear people say that? What is the truth? Well, the truth was standing before Pilate. Who's the truth? Jesus. How could Pilate be so blind? The truth was standing before him. And today too, the word comes to all people. The truth is there. The truth is there to be brought. And here too, Jesus invites Pilate to follow him. But what does Pilate do? He turns away from Jesus because he does not want to hear the truth. Again, that's the work of God as well, isn't it? God also closes the ears of those whom he tends not to hear the word of God. He intends for Pilate to sentence Christ to be crucified. In Paul's letter to Timothy, what does Paul say? He says, Jesus witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. You see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Christ gave the good confession. It was a good confession before Pontius Pilate. And Paul uses this as an encouragement to Timothy to continue in his confession of Christ. And of us, encourages us to continue in the confession that was first made by Jesus. But the beautiful thing is Jesus went before us, making the good confession, paying the price for our sin, bearing witness to the truth. It cost him so that we may stand, we may find our strength in him to stand firm in our confession. Notice Peter, why did he deny Jesus? He was not standing in Christ. He was not finding his strength in Christ. Right? Christ had to go through the trial all alone for our sakes. We stand in his strength as we continue in our confession. You know what? This makes it easier for us, doesn't it? Do you know what brings out jealousy and anger and hatred among your unbelieving friends and neighbors and family? What is it that brings out jealousy and hatred? What is it? It's your witness. It's your witness to the saving truth and love of Christ in your life. They see the blessings of Christ in your life. They don't have it. They want it, and they want it in their own way, but they don't have it. And so they take it out on you. They get angry at you. They get jealous of you. And what do they do? They want to put you on trial. It's a trial, isn't it? They want to put you on trial, bring all kinds of accusation against you. But never forget, Christ answered already. He answered for you. He answered at his trial before Pilate. His trial covers you. You're safe. You're safe. In the hands of Christ. 
Jesus will give you the strength as you face trials for your stand as a Christian. We'll be facing more things in our country, in our nation, in the years to come. But Christ gives us the strength. You have the truth. You have nothing to hide. Do trust Him. He's a strong king. He's an ever-faithful king. He will never let you down. By the way, something else here. Jesus is coming again. And who's going to be put on trial? The world. The world which crucified Christ. The Christ who was there and in the court before the judge. He will now return as judge. And he will put the world on trial. And all who believe on Christ, and all who have believed in Christ, are safe because they're covered by his trial. But all who do not will perish. Will perish forever and ever and ever. He is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords today. Be encouraged by that. The lie is just that. It's just the lie because they have nothing to stand on. Liars have nothing to stand on. Christ was placed on trial for your salvation, and he gives you the strength to stand firm in that confession. Even if you have to die for it, he gives you the strength. Christians throughout the world are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. Why are they able to do that? Not because they're so strong, but because Christ gives them the strength to stand firm in their faith and to continue to bear witness to the truth. Notice the word deliver. How many times do you see that word deliver in, in uh, John 18, 28 to 38? Three times. They delivered Jesus up. They delivered Jesus up. They delivered Jesus up. Who was delivering Jesus up ultimately? It was God. It was God who was delivering Jesus up through their wicked actions. Romans 8.32 uses the exact same word. He who did not spare his own son, he delivered him up for us all. There is the glory in his trial. And there is a greater glory coming. Christ is coming as judge. And he will place the world on trial. You've been tried. And Christ covers you. That is, for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See the glory? The Lamb slain. There's the Lamb. On the cross lame. The crown is gained. Lamb, cross, crown. The Lamb slain. On the cross lame. And the crown is your gain. All for your sake. That's his love. Amen.